we're going to start a new series here as we start the month of December. I'm going to be kicking off this series uh, this month. And the title of the series is Love Came Down. Uh, it's called Love Came Down. And what we're looking at is in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. And this is a scripture we're going to be using uh, throughout the month of December for this, for this uh, series that we're doing. And it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is where we come where love came down, where God showed how much he loved us. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And this is how God showed his love, by sending his son, that Jesus came down into our lives. This month we're going to look at how, God, uh, how the love came down to earth, and it brought redemption, it brought salvation. And we're going to look at the power and the effects of God's love throughout the month uh, by him coming down to earth. Uh, the first, uh, I'm going to kick off this series, and the, the title of this, of this topic that I'm doing is Love Brought Transformation. Let's talk, we're going to look at transformation in our lives, because when you look at the definition of transformation, it's a complete change in the appearance or character of something or someone, especially so that thing or person is improved. Uh, back maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, there was many shows about uh, makeovers. They had the, home the extreme home makeover, where they would get a house that was pretty beat up. They'd go and renew it. There was actually makeovers that people, where they would take a person, and they would just completely transform them and give them a, a, a complete transformation. And they're like, wow, this is a whole new person. And they improved the way they look. And this is what we want to look at, the transformation in our lives as we serve God, that we become a better person, that we become a better person in Christ. There was a story that I was listening to, an interview of a man. And he was giving his story, and he was talking about uh, the theory or not, of just his, what he called the myth of fingertips. And what it was, is he says that you would touch something, if say you would touch something, and it would leave your imprint of your fingerprints there. And he says, and then you would go away for a period of time, maybe three years, five years, ten years. I'm thinking, wow, all that time you didn't clean that thing which you touched. But anyway, he says you would go away from three, five, ten years, and then you would return to that very spot, and the fingerprints would still be there. And you would still be the same per person, but you would come back different. You would look, look different, you would think different, you would act different, and it was either good or bad. And the result of you being either better or worse was by the choices that we'd make. And that's why he talked about the fingerprints, where yes, you're the same person, but you're changed, and it could be for better, for worse. And the cause of that was the choices that we made that caused us to be, become better or worse. When we look at our lives when we came to Christ, if we were to use that same idea of the, the, the myth of fingerprints, and we, you know, the day we gave our lives to Jesus, the way, day we came and maybe we touched something and our fingerprints were there, and we walked away for a while and you know, we gave our lives to the Lord, and now we come back, has there been transformation in our lives? Understanding as we come back a different person, has there been a transformation in our lives? Not only in the way we look, but in the way we think. Before we were saved, we had negative thoughts all the time. You know, we're always complaining, always thinking of things that were bad, ungodly thoughts. You know, just things that were just not right. You know, some people even had suicidal thoughts. But when Jesus came and that love came down and brought transformation in our lives, we start to think of good things. God is, you know, thinking, you know, thinking of the good things that God is doing in our lives. We start to think, wow, God is doing a good thing in my life and in my family. We have a positive outlook on life. Why? Because we're thinking different. We start to seek those things of above and think on those things. Again, we can uh, look at the way we used to act or treat people. You know, many of us were rude, we were crude, you know, we were, we were angry people, you know, always, you know, selfish, getting in arguments with people. It, it just, that's just the way we were. But all of a sudden, there takes, love comes down into our life, there's a transformation. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves kind and loving. 
It's like, man, what happened to you? Man, you used to be the rudest people, person I know, but now we're kind, we're loving, we show concern for others. We're always trying to help people. You know, it's always like, brother, sister, can I pray for you? You know, we have a concern and a care for people. Why? Because of transformation that took place in our lives. The way we used to respond to, to, to just struggles in life or trials in life, we'd begin to worry, begin to panic. When people would face opposition or, or struggles, maybe in their marriage, you know, one would just run away, would never sit and deal with the issues. They would just run away or begin to isolate themselves. But when transformation comes in, we're able to stand and trust God with incredible faith. We're able to be faithful to God and to believe that, you know what, all things are going to work out for the good, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to trust God. No longer are we running. See, it's a transformation. It's a complete change. Transformation, when we talk about our lives before Christ and we share our testimonies with others. You know, when people were sharing their testimonies a couple weeks ago, it's like, wow, I would have never known that person was like that. You know, people, you share your testimony, or people, and people look at you, man, I would never have thought you were like that. It's because love came down. It brought transformation in our lives. It's a life that our children and our grandchildren will never know. When they look at us, they will never know the life that we came out of. They will never have to experience the life that we came out of. Why? Because all they see is the Christ that is in us. They don't have to deal with the things that we dealt with growing up and the things that we were doing before Christ came into our lives. This is a life that our children and our grandchildren will never see or never know. I love Prayer Central. Why? Because we get to come in. We get to pray. And if you've never been to Prayer Central, I want to encourage you. It's every last or every first Friday of the month from 7 to about 8.30. Every first Friday of the month, we're here. We pray. And then halfway between, what we do is we give testimonies. People begin to give testimonies of the miracles and the things that God's done in their life, how God's just, just done great things. And we hear some great testimonies. We heard some great testimonies this last week, uh, last Friday, in our prayer central. And what it is is people are sharing, and, and, and I hope you don't mind, Brother Tony and his wife Rosa, they, they, they share testimony. And the brother was saying, and sister was saying that, man, our, life, our marriage was over. It was done. We were done. That was it. It was over. But God and love came down, and Jesus came into their lives, and, and they began to share and testify how God brought transformation in their marriage. And they said, man, I can't believe it. We are in the house of God on a Friday night working with our teenagers where we used to be out partying in the streets. It's transformation. And then the other testimony, I love Prayer Central because our teenagers are testifying. Our teenagers are giving testimony of what God is doing in their lives and sharing and is building their faith and is building their friends' faith. And there was a young girl that gave testimony this last Friday, and she shared how her grandfather started coming to church, and he was serving God, and God transformed his life. And then her parents got saved and started serving God and started transforming their lives. And then she said, then she came to Jesus. But she said, at school, she takes her Bible with her, and she reads it at school and people start looking at her saying, what are you doing? You're reading the Bible? She says, yes, I'm reading the Bible. And God is using her. She said, now her friends are asking her to come with her on Friday nights to our youth group. That's transformation. It's a life that has changed where people look at us and say, man, you are not the same. You are different. It's the love that God showed us through Jesus Christ that transformed our lives. And what it is is we use that to reach others and show that love to others. See, transformation will happen when come when we're all grown up. We start to grow in the things of God, we're all grown up, transformation will come. 
Paul's writing in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, and he says, don't copy, I'm using the NLT, the New Living Translation, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. He says, don't follow the way the world's doing things. Don't follow their customs, their way of doing things. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to grow God's, learn to know God's will for you, which will be good and pleasing and perfect. It says, let God transform you by renewing your mind. Let your mind change. Let the way, the, the way you think, the way you act. Be, let, let God allow you to begin to grow and mature. See, if we're going to experience transformation in our lives, we need to change the way we used to think. Growth and maturing uh, will come as we grow in him. As we are connected to Jesus, connected to the vine, we're going to begin to grow and mature. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, talking about himself here, he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. He says, I used to do these things because of immaturity, because I wasn't mature, I wasn't growing. But when I grew up, he says, I put away childish things. He says, maturing, no longer living the way he used to be. He says, I put those childish things away and I began to grow, I began to mature, I began to, to become the very thing that God wanted me to be. He also writes in Ephesians chapter four, Paul, and he talks about the spiritual leaders that God gives us. He talks about the things that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers the responsibility of these were to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, to help God's people grow, to help God's people mature, to help God's people begin to see the transformation in their life. And, it's, and this is where Paul is talking about, that these are the things that Christ gave so we can help the church grow, so that we begin to equip, so we can grow and be mature in the things of God. He continues on, he says, this will continue until we all come to unity of faith and knowledge of God of God's son. So will continue until we have an understanding of the son of God that we will be mature in the Lord. He's talking about maturing. He's talking about growing in the Lord, that we have an understanding of who Christ is and his, the God's son. And this is way we measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He says that we begin to measure up to the standard of godly living, a standard of living right for God, a standing of having a righteous life. Paul says that we would measure up to that and have complete why It'll come through a maturing, a growing in Christ. He says measure up because before, we used to have low standards. Really think about it. We, our standards are about right here, man. If I just make it out of bed in the morning and get to work, I'm okay. You know, it's like, if I get paid, I get paid. It's like, our, our, our standards were so low, but when we come to Christ, all of a sudden we have a godly standard now. We have a different way of living. We have a, a different way of, of understanding. Say, so, you know what, I, I got better things, better plans for my life that God has for me. He says, then we, will be no, like, then we will no longer be like immature children. He says, when we grow and we mature, we're not gonna be like immature child. Remember when he talked about earlier, he says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. And he's saying, then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind with new teaching. He says, we're not gonna be seized by false doctrine. When all these things come in and all these false teachings and all these uh, ways of thinking, he says, we will not be fooled by that. We will not be deceived by that. We will not be influ influenced by people who try to trick us with lies so clever that they, clever they, they sound like the truth. Why? Because we're maturing. We're growing in God. We're getting an understanding of the word of God. We're getting an understanding of who God is, and we're beginning to trans our lives are beginning to become transformed. As Paul writes in Philippians 1.9, he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. 
Paul says, I pray that you keep growing, that you keep growing in understanding and the knowledge, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Paul says that if we're going to be able to live blameless and pure lives, we've got to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. We need to continue to grow. Again, maturity, growth, transformation comes through an understanding of the Word of God. We need to have a, a clear understanding of the Word of God. There has to be a daily devotion to God's Word, that we have a, a time where we begin to just look at God's Word and begin to, to ask God to speak to us, to God to teach us, to God to, to help us to grow and mature that will bring transformation. See, we, look, we can look at the road of transformation in the life of Saul or Paul. In Acts chapter 9, and if you could just read that chapter, I'm going to jump back and forth between uh, Paul, uh, chapter Acts 9 and some different scriptures. But it looks at Paul and, and his road to transformation. It says Paul, was, Saul at the time, was uttering threats. With every breath, he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. It says every breath he was breathing, all he can speak of was evil against the people of God. He says that he was so eager, so anxious to kill the Lord's followers. At every breath, everything, he was just consumed with catching the people of God to put them to death. So what it says is Paul went to the high priest. He requested letters to the synagogue in Damascus. And he asked for the cooperation to arrest any of the followers. He's asking that he can go and arrest anybody that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. He wanted to bring them both men, women, men and women back to Jerusalem. He wanted to bring them back in change. And this is Paul. This is an angry, bitter man. This is a man who was violent. He talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He talks about himself. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer, I used to blaspheme God. I used to speak against God. I used to speak against Jesus. I was a persecutor. I would come against the church. I was, uh, you know, speak against the church, and I would persecute anybody that claimed the name of Jesus. And I was a violent man. He talks about being a violent man, but he says I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. Again, in immaturity. I did not know in, in unbelief. Paul just didn't know the truth. He, and later in that chapter, he goes to say that I was the chief of all sinners. I was the worst of all sinners. When Stephen was stoned, when he was killed by stoning, it says that his accusers that were murdering Stephen laid all their coats at the feet of, of Saul. And it says that Saul was a witness there, and he agreed. He gave his thumbs up to have Stephen killed, that he was full approval of having Stephen killed. So you look at this is the life of Paul. This is a man who was violent, a man who hated Christians, a man who hated Christ. And his motive was to get every Christian he had confined and put him to death. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on a mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul answers, he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus. It was the voice of God, the very one who was sent down from heaven to show him the very love that God had for him. He says, I am Jesus. I am the one that you are persecuting. He says, go, get up, go into the city, and I'll tell you what you must do. He says, Paul picked himself off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He couldn't see. So his companions had to lead him to Damascus. And he remained there for three days, but he didn't eat or drink. But see how God got Saul's attention. Said he was blinded, he couldn't see. They had to lead him by the hand. And God got his attention. He said, look at Saul, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. 
says, I want you to go because I have some instructions for you. So God speaks to in a vision to, to, to Ananias, a man named Ananias, a man of God. And he says, I want you to go over uh, to, to the house of Judas, and I want you to go, and I want you to pray for a man named Saul of Tarsus. He says, he's right there praying right now. I've shown him a vision that you're going to come and pray for him, and he would receive his sight. But Ananias responded to God. He's like, God, Saul, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers. So I'm like, man, haven't you heard? This guy's doing terrible things to the believers. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone that calls on your name. He's talking about Paul's reputation, Saul's reputation. He's talking about the terrible things he's done and he's going to do. And he's like, well, are you sure about this, God? Is this the guy you really want me to go to? It's kind of like our lives before we came to Christ. A lot of people were like, man, don't you know what he did? Don't you know what he, she did? You know, they're a terrible person. See, before transformation came, that's so many people th thought about us. Maybe they didn't know firsthand, but they heard about us. You know, our family members gossip about us and tell them, man, this, he, he's terrible. My son, my daughter, my nephews and nieces, they're, they're terrible. And Ananias is like, you sure, God? The Lord said to him, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and the kings as well as the people of Israel. He says, I have a plan for Saul. There is going to be transformation in his life. All these things you heard about him, don't worry about it because he is going to be a new man. He's going to be my instrument. He's going to preach the gospel. He's going to lead people to Jesus. He says, I will show him how he'll suffer my name's sake. So Ananias went. He did exactly what the Lord told him. He said, Brother Saul, he says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, instantly, as he's praying for him, instantly, scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. See, Paul not, Saul was not only physically blind, but you can really look at him, he was spiritually blind. He was bound by religion. He was bound by traditions. He was bound by just the anger and, and, and violence in his heart and, and all these things. But it says that his, his eyes were opened up. So not only were they physically, but he was spiritually opened up to what God is doing. See, it was that blindness that was causing him to do what he did. See, our lives were blinded by the world's way of thinking, you know, our religious traditions. Many of us were just bound by religious traditions. I know I was growing up. Our family was religious. And it was just, we had, you know, and, and my wife got saved, and she was born, she was raised Christian. I don't know how she married me, but amen. It was God, amen. amen. But she would speak Christianity to me. She would witness to me, share the love of God with me, and I would be like, nah, I got my religion. Didn't know anything about my religion. I shared before, I, we had the giant Bible. We never opened it. Didn't know about Jesus. Didn't know anything. But in our mind, it was our traditions. It was our, just our way that we were brought up. That's, no, no, we, 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 this is what we are, and this is what we're going to be. And we were blinded by that. Paul was blinded, not only physically, but spiritually. And Paul, and Jesus speak, and, and Paul, and he begins to speak, and, and again, this is many of us, we can find ourselves where we're, we're, we're blinded spiritually. We're just bound by so many things, and we can't see the truth of God's word. Paul talks about his conversation with Jesus in Acts 26. He talks about what Jesus told him. He says, Jesus was saying that I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. 
from the power of Satan to God. No longer will they be spiritually blind. No longer will they be in darkness, but they are going to see the light of God's word, and their eyes will be open. They will know the truth. God will come in. They will begin to grow. They will begin to mature, and there will be a transformation in their life. God says he's going to bring them from darkness to light, and this is what happened to our lives. We were in darkness. We were in darkness. We saw the light, and Jesus came in. In Acts 9 again, Esther Saul's eyes are opened up. He says, and immediately he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. When transformation takes place, we can't, tell, we can't wait to tell others about Jesus. He says he immediately began preaching. There was a transformation. There was something that took place in his life. He knew who he was, and he knew what God was doing in his life. He saw the light. He began to see transformation take place, and it says that he couldn't wait to tell others about Jesus. He went out immediately and told others, and this is us. We, when we get saved, man, we just want to tell everybody. We want to tell our family. We want to see our whole family saved. You know, we're telling, witnessing, sharing. You know, we're sharing with our friends. See, because we experienced the love that came down, the truth. And again, we want to share it with others. It says, all those that heard him were amazed. It says, isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? Isn't this this guy that was trying to kill everybody and, and, and casting votes of, of murder upon people? Isn't this the same guy? And they asked, and they said, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them into chains and lead them to the priest? It says, as Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. When transformation takes place, people look at us and say, man, you ain't the same person. You are different. What happened to you? I remember when I got saved, I had a real good friend. Back in the day, they were my compa, amen. I don't know if we still call him that, amen. But he was my son's godfather at the time, so... And I remember we used to get together and Tina was going to church and we would be there and we would just, and then not all the time, we weren't like you know, throwing darts at her, but every once in a while she'd start witness to us and we would just give her a hard time, just give her a hard time, you know, just mocking Christians and because my view of Christians, again, I was blinded, I was blind. And my view of Christians are boring people and you know, the wives had you know, the big beehive hairdos, you know, and, the guys wear the, the old-style tuxedos. And that's, that's my vision of being you know, blinded. That's what Christians were to me. I was just blinded. But I remember I got saved. And my friend, he used to be there with me. We used to always joke, make jokes about the church and, you know, Christians. And I got saved. Man, and I got radically saved, transformed. And one day we were together, and, and uh, I was just, you know, sharing with them. And he looked at me, and he goes, man, you're different. You are different. He says, you got me curious. What happened? And I was a new convert. I had just gotten saved, so I didn't know a whole lot. I didn't know the word and all that, but all I knew is that, man, Jesus is real. Jesus is real. He changed my life. He transformed my life. This is Paul. He went out, and there was a transformation. The second thing I want to look at is he knows our name. In Luke chapter 19, here's another story here. And again, I'm going to be jumping back and forth from Luke 19. So if you want to just read that chapter. Jesus entered into Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Oh, 
And he was a chief tax collector. And in that day, I don't know, my computer froze up. Amen. Good thing I have notes. <laughs> my biggest fear, amen, has come to pass, amen. See, God, the devil doesn't want you to hear this, amen. But God had a better plan. So now I've got to find out where I was at, amen. But again, this is the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And it says that Jesus entered the Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. It's a story of Zacchaeus. He was one of the chief tax collectors there in the region of Jericho. And again, tax collectors were those that were hired by the Roman government. Uh, they were responsible for collecting taxes, uh, you know, from the people. And then there was different kind of taxes. I was looking them up. There was, you know, uh, uh, income tax, custom tax, uh, import-export tax, toll bridge tax, crop tax, sales tax, property tax, and any other special taxes that they wanted to levy on the people. And what these tax collectors would do is they would collect the money and they would uh, collect it for the, for the, uh, uh, the Roman government. They would uh, give it to them. But what it was is they were free to collect a little extra for themselves. They were free to collect a little extra tax for themselves to make a profit. And there was opportunity for theft and fraud, you know, harassment and corruption. This is why it says that Zacchaeus became very rich. He was a very rich man because he was a tax collector. Uh, Jewish tax collectors like Zacchaeus were despised. They were despised by their people, their own countrymen. They were known for cheating again people and, and, and you know, uh, uh, being corrupt, but also because they worked for Rome. They worked for Rome, and Jewish tax collectors uh, looked at them, other Jewish, uh, Jews looked at them as, as collaborators with the enemy. Uh, they were traitors of their own people. Again, when you look at the Bible and the Gospels, you'll see many times that the religious leaders would relate tax collectors and sinners together. That they would look at them together and they would put them in the same place as people that were just undesirable. In, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, again, putting them together, tax collectors and sinners, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So again, they were put in the same category of just people that were undesirable. In Luke chapter 19, as it continues on, Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus. Jesus was coming into Jericho, and he wanted to catch a glimpse of him. And he says, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. See, again, Zacchaeus was a, check, a, a, a chief tax collector. It wasn't like he could just go where the crowd is and just stand in the front and just watch. Why? Because he was despised. You know, they could have attacked him. They could have beat him there. They could have said, no, get him out of here. So he couldn't just run to the front. Nobody was going to say, hey, Zacchaeus, come stand with us. Come stand with my family. No, because they were despised people. The people just didn't like him. He was an outcast. Nobody wanted to associate with him, so he just ran and climbed into a tree. It says that, Many of us, you know, in our lives, many of us, you know, many people didn't invite us to many places because of the way we were. We weren't invited. We talked about the reputation of Saul. Many of us had a reputation that people just wanted to distance themselves from us, even in our own home. You know, we felt alone, we felt lonely. And this is kind of how you could look at Zacchaeus. He's just alone. He's just there trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. So he just ran ahead and jumped in a tree. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. He says, Zacchaeus. 
He looked up at him and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus. He didn't say, hey, you, hey, you up there. He didn't call me. And this is the, the, the names I always hear. Hey, boss. What's going on, boss? Are you up there, boss? Uh, hey, big guy. You in the tree, big guy. A partner. Hey, partner. Dude. The guy at work calls everybody foo. Hey, foo. What's up, foo? Jesus didn't do that. Hey, Zacchaeus. Hey, foo. What are you doing up there? He called him by name. He went up to him. He called him by his name. He said, Zacchaeus. He knew exactly who he was. He looked him in the face and he told him, hey, Zacchaeus, the very person that Zacchaeus heard about, all the good things that he was doing, all he wanted to do was catch a glimpse of Jesus, the one who was the true manifestation of God's love that came down from heaven, walks up to him and he calls him by name Zacchaeus. We need to understand that God knows our name. God knows everything about us. No matter what condition we're in, no matter what we're doing, God knows our name. It says that even the hairs on our head are numbered. Can you imagine that? That God knows how many hairs on our head we have. Some have more than others, amen. I always tell my wife, I'm going to start shaving my head because it's getting back here. But again, our head, he knows everything about us. In Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He said, before I formed you, I knew exactly who you were. You weren't a mistake. You weren't something that just appeared, but I formed you in the womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation, just as God spoke of Paul and says, I have appointed him. I have a plan. I have a purpose for his life. It was the same thing here. He says, I appointed to you. In Psalm, I'm sorry, Exodus 33, 17, God is speaking to Moses. He says, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know your name. God knows our name. Psalm 139, it says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know when my thoughts, you even know when I am far away. Again, it's telling us God knows everything about us. So it gives us a picture that God knows, exact, knows your exact name. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus is telling him that he wants to be in a relationship and fellowship with him. I'm coming to your house this day, Zacchaeus. Again, he called him by name. He knew exactly where he was. I want to come to your house. This is why the love of God came down, that we would be in a relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ that he would have fellowship with us, that we would be in that relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus, tells him, I'm coming to your house. It's so, it kind of goes in line with Revelation 3.20, if you really think about it. He goes, here I am. I stand at your door and knock. He looks at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He said, before I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. I want to come in. I want to knock in at your door. I'm waiting for you to let me in so I can come and be in fellowship. I can come and have a relationship with you. With you. Tonight, maybe you feel that you're far off alone, lonely, empty, discouraged. Maybe you're bound by addictions. Jesus is telling you tonight, I know your name and I want to be in a relationship with you. I know your name. I knew you before you were even born. 
And I want you to be, I want to be, I have a plan for your life. As he talked about Jeremiah, he talked about, Saul, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. Just let me in. He says, come down from where you are. Zacchaeus could have said no. He could have easily said no. So many times we were invited to, to receive, open that door to Jesus. I know me many times I would say, no, I'm not ready. It was always, I'm not ready. Ready for what? I don't know. I'm not ready. Maybe some other time. That's the one thing I always hear. I'm just not ready. Ready for what? Ready for a transformation in your life, a new life? The kids could have easily said, no, Lord, I'm not ready right now. You know, my house is a mess. You know, the kids, got the grandkids over there, and they're just tearing up the place. Maybe another time. But it says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He was so excited. There was so much joy because Jesus called him by name, said, I'm coming to your house tonight. He said he jumped out of that tree and he led Jesus to his house. See, as Zacchaeus responded to Jesus' invitation, he experienced great excitement and joy. How many can testify to that excitement and joy when we came to Jesus? Amen. It just, man, it just something. I remember the day I got saved, and man, it was just, man, it was just different, man. My life was different. In, Rome, in Psalms 34, 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in them. Oh, the joy of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. We have tasted and we know that he is good. It goes on in Luke, and he says, as Zacchaeus took Jesus to his house, but the people were displeased. He says, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, and they grumbled. Again, you're looking at a tax collector as someone is, is just not desirable. And they started to grumble that why is he bringing this guy into his house? When we got saved, not many people were excited. You know, there was no parade when some of us got saved because of our religious traditions. I heard it, man. We're not that. We're, this is what we are. You know, you can't, change, you can't change religions. I don't know who said that, but it was illegal to change religions. You know, you couldn't become a Christian. And that's what happened a lot of times. When we gave our lives to Jesus. We angered a lot of people, especially family members, because, hey, that goes against what we believe. You know, we're this religion, and we're going to stay this religion. You can't do that. It says the people grumbled when Jesus came into uh, to, 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 to fellowship with Zacchaeus. And then our old friends, it's like, what are you doing? You're going to serve God now? Brother Tony testified on Friday night. He said that he posted a, a, a flyer of, of our New Year's Eve service, and he started getting a lot of messages that you're a Christian now? It's like, come on back. Come on back. He said, no, bro, I'm not coming back, but I'll pray for you. See, a lot of people aren't going to be happy when we give our lives to Jesus. But that didn't matter because Zacchaeus was excited. See, we're also transformed to give. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord as Zacchaeus is there in his house. He is so excited, so joyous that Jesus is there. And he speaks and he says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. The wealthy man, he says he was very rich because of his career. He said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Man, wouldn't you love to hear the IRS tell you that? Amen. Amen. We'll give you four times as much. Here was a man that became very rich because he was a chief tax collector. But Jesus looked him in the eye and called him by name Zacchaeus. 
invited him into a relationship. He says, I want to be in a fellowship with you and a relationship with you. His joy and excitement turned to gratitude, if you really think about it. He experienced the love of Jesus, and it led to him in his generosity. One man said, when a corrupt and greedy person becomes generous, that is true transformation. We became generous because of what God did in our lives. You know, really, and when Jesus came in, there was that joy, there was that excitement, there was that gratitude, and we were willing to be generous. We were willing to give and invest. We were willing to start paying our tithes. We were willing to start blessing others, to just be a blessing to people. Why? Because of what God, the transformation God brought in our lives. We were just like, we're just generous now. It's just, I, I share, me and Pastor Jesse, we always share just stories of how God blesses our lives, and, and just, you know, and it just comes from just the, the investment we put in, in the lives of people. It was excitement. It became, again, the generosity comes. A platform can come up. When Dean Braxton was here a couple weeks ago, he was talking about the books uh, that he had for sale in the back. And it was Sunday morning, and he said, you know what the Lord spoke to me? He says, donation. And then he began to explain. He says, look, if all you have is a penny, he says, that's all you need. You can go get a book because God wants you to have one of these books in your hands. And he says, if you don't even have a penny, if you have nothing, he says, go and take a book. Because again, God wants you to have these books. And he says that he was asked, how can you do this? How can you just give away these books? And he says, my father takes good care of me and my wife. That is why we're able to do this. See, transformation takes place in our lives. We experience, again, like Zacchaeus, we experience the joy, excitement, gratitude. We become generous. Why? Because no, we know that God will take care of us, that God will meet our needs. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't, be, don't give reluctantly or out of, out of uh, response to pressure. It says God loves a cheerful giver. We give because we, it, just, it feels good to give. It's just like, it, because God just, it, God does something in us. It really does. And it just, it's a transformation that took place in us. Before, it's like, no, no way. You know, we, we, we could never release nothing. Now it's like, here you go, Lord. Here you go. As Zacchaeus said, that I'll give half of everything I have to the poor. Proverbs 19.7 says, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Jesus responded to Zacchaeus's willingness to give half he says salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost Zacchaeus was related to a sinner as a tax collector and Jesus came and said you know what I came to seek those who were lost love came down to seek the lost that would bring transformation in the lives of those that would have a new way of life, a new way of living through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, as anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. He is transformed by the power of God. The old has passed away. Behold, everything's become new. If we go back to the day we gave our lives to Jesus and we have those fingerprints there, as we come back to them, has there been growth? Has there been a maturity? Has there been a transformation in our lives? See, Jesus' love came down to bring transformation. We are changed. We are no longer uh, the way we used to be. 
because Christ is within us and it affects everything around us and everyone around us. When there's transformation in our lives, it affects our families because all they see is the good that God is doing, not seeing the mess that we used to make. In our workplace, where we're, people are willing to want to work with us, you know, it's like before, it's like, oh, this guy, I got to work with this guy. This guy's a, we have one guy that they, they, they call Angry Bird because he's always mad, you know, they call him Angry Bird. It's like, oh, I got to go with that guy today. So in our workplace, people are like, oh, yeah, I'll go with them. I'll, I'll help them. I'll work with them because we're changed. We're transformed. You know, we give our testimony. When people begin to hear that, you know, we, and we're in the house of God. We become that testimony to others, become that example to others. They say, man, that brother, that sister has been transformed. They have an, uh, just the love of God in their lives. Why? Because God has transformed our lives. Tonight, love came down to bring transformation. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring transformation. He wants to bring a newness in our lives that we can just, you know, continue to do great things for him. Let's bow our heads tonight. We're going to pray.